Welcome to Interchange. I'm Doug Storm. Our show today is The Art of Exposing Rape in America. Our opening song is Not to Blame by Joni Mitchell off the 1994 album Turbulent Indigo. Our guest is Vivian Freed, professor of art history at Vanderbilt University and author of Against Our Will, Sexual Trauma in American Art Since 1970, published by Penn State University Press. A story hit the news from coast to coast They said you beat the girl you love the most As part of the feminist movement of the 1970s, female artists began consciously using their works to challenge social conceptions and the legal definitions of rape and incest and to shift the dominant narrative of violence against women. American artists such as Faith Ringgold, Suzanne Lacey, and Judy Chicago insisted on ending the silence surrounding sexual violence and helped construct an anti-rape, anti-incest counter-narrative that remains vibrant today. She was out of line, and you were not to blame. Second wave feminist artists established and reiterated the importance of addressing sexual violence against women, and their successors in the third wave then framed their works within that visual and rhetorical tradition. Freed shows that this work had prepared the ground for the Me Too movement, but as well shows that Me Too is the common ground on which all women walk. Because though Freed's book focuses on specific artists working at a specific time, she shows how rape and incest and all forms of slavery are features of patriarchy and so-called civilization that are even celebrated in works of art and valorized through the celebration of that art, from the Greek myths to the present day. And take a slice of American pie and find their founding fathers, owners of black women and children, not reason fully human, and so available for sexual use and the reproduction of profit. Vivian Freed is a scholar of PTSD and herself a survivor, and this groundbreaking and timely project explores sexual violence as a discrete subject of American art with open eyes and unflinching analysis. And now, The Art of Exposing Rape in America, with Vivian Freed, on Interchange, on WFHB. He was on a line, girl, you were not to blame. Thanks for joining me on Interchange, uh, Vivian Freed. 
Well, thank you, Doug. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, so if you don't mind, or and you can, of course, say you mind, but I'd like to start with the um, acknowledgments page. You've got uh, a notice there that you're someone who's experienced post-traumatic stress disorder, and that's footnoted. I went to the footnote, and it sends me to visual stimuli for traumatic memories, an academic and personal memoir, um, where the abstract itself talks about your own issues or your own situation in terms of um, your your past and your history and, and what you're writing out of. Do you mind talking about that? No, I, ma- I made a self-conscious choice when I published that article that I was going to end my own individual silence. Mm. So I had a memory when my daughter was two years old of having been sexually abused as a child. And I had no memory of it before that time. I had no idea what I was talking about when I was hysterically crying and saying that something happened to me. And I began therapy. It was a very, very long process. Um, Being in psychoanalysis for seven years, four days a week, spending a lot of time shutting down, not wanting to talk about things. And over time, little bits came back to me um, for me to remember that I was had experienced incest as a child with my father. Mm. And uh, a lot of the your subsequent work as an academic springs from that, or had you already sat, uh, sort of moved into a particular mode of academic work? I think that that experience led me into this book project, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. In many ways, writing this book was another process for me to come to terms with my past. Mm. So although in Against Our Will, Sexual Trauma in American Arts since 1970, I'm not talking about myself, it informs the reason why I've written the book and the interest that I had in the topic. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. Um, now, you begin your new book, as you say, Against Our Will, Will, Sexual Trauma in American Art Since 1970, with uh, a pretty interesting comparison of two works confronting sexual violence, Faith Ringgold's Slave Rape Series Number 3, Fight to Save Your Life from 1972, and Peter Saul's Pinkville from 1970. Let's talk about those, because I got to tell you, that was really a perfect way to begin, I think, and you don't need me to tell you that, I guess, but what? what what a fantastic way to begin with those two images. So if you don't mind, let's talk a little bit about those. Can you describe them for us? Yes, I can. And thank you for making that comment. So I begin the book with Faith Ringgold's quilt in which she is showing a nude African-American woman who's pregnant standing in a jungle. Her eyes are wide open. She is looking out at us, the viewer, as well as the artist, with a sense of surprise, she's holding in her left hand a hatchet. The fact that she's pregnant is significant. First of all, the subject of showing a female nude pregnant in the history of art was almost non-existent when Faith Ringgold had done this work. Mm. Also, it is called Slave Rape Series, and since the subject is telling us it's about rape, we, the viewer, will assume that this woman is impregnated by somebody who's taken her captive in order to take her into slavery. But she is holding in her left hand a hatchet, which suggests 
that she is empowered and she's not going to be subservient and say, go ahead and take me. She's going to fight back. Mm. And I thought this was a really important image to begin with because the book is really about women and primarily women artists, but beginning in the 1980s into the present, some male artists who deal with the troubling topic of rape, domestic violence, incest, etc. And they do so in order to end the silence and ask the viewer to become a witness. And that's exactly what Faith Ringgold has done in this very powerful image. Mm. Peter Saul, in his painting Pinkville, which is enormous, it's a very, very large work of art. So it would fill up a wall, really. And it is a, a work of art that has day glow colors, bright green, bright blue, bright reds and oranges. And it takes a while for you to see what's happening. But you see a, a, a man who's sort of an octopus-like man, and he's wearing a marine helmet. And he dominates the scene, and his tentacles are reaching out, they have shoes on them, but he's also impaling a woman who is wearing an Asian type of hat. Uh, there are other women here that he is uh, stepping on, that he is sexually violating. In fact, there are a number of women and his tentacles are acting this, uh, this sexual violence upon all of these Asian women that are smaller than this military American man. Mm. Although Peter Saul had intended this work of art to be an anti-Vietnam painting in order to pro protest the Miley uh, massacre that had happened uh, traumatically in Vietnam, the painting really, you don't read it as a protest, I don't think, because you're looking at this man as if he's taking such pleasure in violating these women. And these women are stereotyped as these Asian, small, highly eroticized, sexualized figures. So the work of art is, rather than wrinkles, showing a woman who is empowering herself and who has been a victim of sexual trauma and violence, Instead, Saul is showing women who are victims, who are going to remain victims, and that this dominant male is going to continue uh, acting out in this fashion. This is Interchange on WFHB. Our guest is Vivian Freed, author of Against Our Will, Sexual Trauma in American Art Since 1970, an art which exposes how rape and incest are foundational elements of this civil society but an art which also opens up a public space where the voices of the survivors of that sexual violence can be heard. We can talk about it as a critique of U.S. imperialism as well as yes. uh, the sexual nature of that aspect of war also. As you say, yes. every tentacle is a penis, I believe, or, uh, or a gun, yes. a penis or a gun. Yeah. But this is, as yes. you say, a day-glow uh, picture. And uh, I'm not sure about this because I'm not sure in terms of the colors used, but he, he, the color of the soldier is, uh, is, is black or brown, right? 
Well, he's actually more of a orange red. <laughs> okay. That matches the floor on the ground. Okay. okay. And the Asian women are a day glow green. Mm, okay. And yeah, as you say, they're they're all kind of weird, weirdly bubbly or balloon yes. balloon like in their curvatures. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he's yes. bur- bursting them frequently. Yes. So you know you're you're. Your point, now, to me, it's well taken, and one thing I've struggled with frequently about being a viewer and trying to understand, um, you know, art as critique or art as satire or art as, you know, some way in which we protest against the dominant culture is the way in which this has uh, reproduced a kind of voyeuristic, uh, what, titillation? Um, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I think that's that's exactly what I would say. It's a voyeuristic titillation. And I place this within the context of the so-called heroic rape tradition. Mm, what's that about? That, that Well, it began in antiquity, and then it resurfaces from the Renaissance into the present. So rape as a subject. Um, rape as a subject. What's the heroic part of that? Well, the subject is usually taken from the Bible, mythology, history. So let's take a mythological subject of the rape of Europa. Many of your listeners may have seen works of art that represent the rape of Europa. And they may be familiar with a famous painting by Titian, the Venetian Renaissance artist. The subject is taken from ancient Greek mythology, when Europa was a goddess who was captured by Zeus, the head of all the gods. But Zeus had turned himself into a bull so that Europa has no idea that when she is taken by the bull, that this is actually Zeus. And in the painting, we're seeing Europa as this beautiful, naked woman who seems to be writhing erotically on the back of the white bull's back uh, on the back of the white bull as they fly into the sky and on the left corner of the sky there are some cupids as if they're celebrating <laughs> oh look at this love look at how great it is to be raped Europa, <laughs> to the island of Crete right, they're going right. to have three children but wait a minute the work is called rape of Europa The mythological subject is about the rape of Europa. Zeus is taking her captive in order to rape her. Mm -hmm. So this is not a love scene. This is another painting in which we as the viewer are titillated. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow, look at this beautiful woman. Look at this beautiful bull. Look at these gorgeous blue colors of the sky and of the water. Um, But when we stop and say, wait a minute, but this is showing a rape. Hopefully, viewers will begin to question what the work of art is actually about and why are we thinking this is such a beautiful painting when it's such a troubling subject. Mm. Well, uh, it, it called to my mind as you were talking, um, I think it's the Pasiphae myth as well, right? Yes, the, 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 the Minotaur is birthed from that rape also. Well, there are so many examples. There's the uh, rape of the Sabine women, there's, uh, you know, the subject, it just goes on right, and on right. and on. And you it's like a Western it. tradition, a foundational, exactly. traditional heroic rape myth of the great right. civilization born out of, uh, out of heroic rape. Huh? Right. And women, women art historians began in the 1980s hmm. to question the subject matter and to say, wait a minute, 
we've been talking about these paintings in terms of the subject, the style, the composition, the diagonal, etc. But nobody ever had questioned the fact that we're looking at a rape. And what does that mean? Hmm. This is Interchange on WFHB. Our guest is Vivian Freed, author of Against Our Will, Sexual Trauma in American Art Since 1970, an art which exposes how rape and incest are foundational elements of this civil society, but an art which also opens up a public space where the voices of the survivors of that sexual violence can be heard. Obviously, when you open with Ringgold's uh, slave rape series, we're, we're struck, too, with the foundations of this country in particular, or Western, what we call Western civiliz- civilization in terms of, uh, uh, I guess, prior to industrial society. But the, the free uh, new world of the U.S. is born on the backs of slave labor as well as reproduction of labor via Absolutely. raping African-American women, African women at the time, and then Africa, then American women who were born specifically to be um, uh, baby factories, I suppose. Well, yes, on plantations. We now know, it's well known that Jefferson, we have DNA evidence that Jefferson had children with Sally Hemings, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who was his slave, and that his descendants are alive. It is our nation, as well as, I was just in Cuba, Mm. Cuba, Central South America, uh, we, we, our foundation has to do with slavery. I always tell my students, it's the elephant in the closet. We have to acknowledge that this is our history and that our quote unquote founding fathers were all slave owners. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm sh- and, and likely, I can't say for sure I wasn't there, but likely all rapists. Yes, probably all rapists. Right, right, right. Now, let's uh, let's go ahead and take a little closer look at the book's title. We've kind of been obviously touching on it. Um, Against Our Will, again, is the name of the title of your subtitle, Sexual Trauma in American Art Since 1970. That's the specific focus of the book. But uh, the book's title is an homage to Susan Brownmiller's 1975 book, Against Our Will, Men, Women, and Rape. Uh, there are any number of second-wave books appearing around that same time, Firestone's Dialectics of Sex. Millet's uh, Sexual Politics are two of the most famous ones. Maybe Andrea Dworkin's Woman Hating, I think, is 74. Uh, So why uh, Brown Miller specifically? Well, Brown Miller's book was really one of the earliest books to deal with the subject, Uh, if not the first book. There was an article by Susan Griffin that predated her book dealing with the subject of rape that was published in a popular magazine. But Susan Brown Miller's book really was – groundbreaking. As you mentioned, there were other people who wrote books at the same time. It's all part of what I refer to as the rape crisis movement Hmm. that began in the 1970s. Not only do you have books, but you have different women and organizations that were established in Washington, D.C. and Madison, Wisconsin and Boston and other places. And it's through consciousness raising groups where women would get together and talk about different issues that many women discovered that, like I did it uh, uh, when I was younger, that they had been raped or as a child or as an adult. And in talking to other people, it was pretty groundbreaking to discuss the subject in ways that nobody had previously. Susan Brown Miller's book 
against her will, is arguing that throughout the history of art, and she starts with antiquity and she talks about slavery and other issues, men are uh, the conqueror, women are passive, and that rape has nothing to do with sexual desire. It's all about being powerful and having control. And as she says, it's nothing about pleasure. It's all about being controlled. It's all about having a man express his control over a woman sexually. It's time for a break. This is Rhiannon Giddens with At the Purchaser's Option off of Freedom Highway from 2017. The title comes from a newspaper advertisement for the sale of an enslaved black woman who had a nine-month-old child with her. The purchaser could choose to take the baby in the sale or not. Giddens sings to the slave owner, You took me to bed a little girl, left me in a woman's world. More with Vivian Freed on sexual trauma in American art when Interchange returns on WFHB. I've got a baby, but shall I keep him? Twill come the day when I'll be weeping. But how can I love him any Welcome back to Interchange. Vivian Freed is our guest. She's a professor of art history at Vanderbilt University and author of Against Our Will, Sexual Trauma in American Art Since 1970. Freed discusses the way sexual trauma can be transgenerational and the paradox that the experience of sexual trauma often cannot be remembered. the issue for, you know that we confront in culture all the time is this sense of um, you know strong man being actually such a weak character you know that it's power that's necessary yes. for the weak you know to yes. to express power violently is to recognize the weakness right. in, in in the man yes and as research shows often in a family if some kind of domestic violence incest occurs, it's something that that person experienced himself mm. or herself as a child. Mm -hmm. And then it gets passed on. So I, re I talk about transgenerational trauma, mm -hmm. where trauma gets passed down from one generation to another. Mm. And that's an example. Another one has to do with slavery. So when we're talking about, for example, uh, the university 
in Washington, D.C., Georgetown University, they've learned that that university exists because they they literally sold all of their slaves. That trauma, there's there are people who are now learning that one of their ancestors had been a slave at Georgetown and had been sold in order for Georgetown as a university to survive. Although she had no idea about that, nevertheless, the trauma has been in embedded in her body, her DNA, her cells, and it affects everybody over generations. Hmm. Well, trauma is a key issue, obviously, from the book and the book's title, Sexual Trauma, and trauma theory is central to the discussion. And the sort of, uh, I guess, what's called the trauma paradox is a part of this as well. Uh, Can you describe that for us? Well, the trauma paradox is, and again, I'm the perfect example, the trauma paradox is that if somebody has experienced trauma, they may not be able to remember it. And we now know through uh, through studies of the brain, MRIs of the brain, psycho psychiatrists have studied the brain. When a trauma occurs, literally the memory of a traumatic event bypasses the, the memory store and gets stuck in a box that you cannot access. Hmm. And where it's located is the amygdala. That's your flight and flee response. Mm -hmm. That's number one. You can't necessarily remember it because you've stored it in the part of the brain that is not your memory. And number two, your PTSD response could be extreme fear, hyperventilating. It could be nightmares, uh, uh, depression, suicidal thoughts, the list goes on. And all of that makes sense when you know it's located in the part of the fear brain where you immediately learn to to be scared. Mm. And uh, what we now know, the paradox is that you've experienced something, but you can't ne- you can't remember it all. And when you first have the the first trigger of the after effects of a trauma, if you have forgotten, and that's very common, especially for youngsters. But it also is common for people who have experienced war or tornadoes or tsunamis, etc. But when you first have memories, you can't, it's not like watching a, a movie where you can see everything from beginning to end. It's more like film stills of a movie. Hmm. And it's really like you yourself watching a movie where you have these little scenes that come to you and you're, you're shocked and think, oh, my God, what is that? And it's little pieces. So it's really hard to pull it together in order to understand what fully happened. Mm. And part of the issue is that so many, like there's a real contention here about how to understand that trauma, how to understand uh, maybe how to get through it or heal it or recover from it. Uh, So many uh, believing that you cannot actually recover from it. And then others feeling there are ways to, to heal from it. Yes. There are people who believe that it is naive to think that it's possible to recover from a trauma. I would argue from my own personal experience that it is possible. It's incredibly difficult. It's very, very painful. It takes a very long time, but it is possible to recover. And when I say that you recover from a trauma, it doesn't mean that something isn't going to happen that will cause that fear or that reaction. But what's different is 
that you understand it and you're like, oh, I have a pit in my stomach right now because I'm talking to someone about what happened to me as a child. Ah, okay. And then I'm not going to fall into that hole of depression, of suicidal thoughts, of mm-hmm. fear, of hypervigilance, etc. That's so healing is never forgetting. Mm. The past is always a part of who you are. This is Interchange on WFHB. Our guest is Vivian Freed, author of Against Our Will, Sexual Trauma in American Art Since 1970, an art which exposes how rape and incest are foundational elements of this civil society, but an art which also opens up a public space where the voices of the survivors of that sexual violence can be heard. Well, so part of the issue or part of what's important about this book, part of what's important about the art that you discuss in this book is as a way to express and to uh, prompt the recognition of the trauma, to yes. to prompt the way to, exp- you know, to confront the trauma, to recognize that you have been traumatized in the first place. Yes. Many of the artists I discuss in my book are creating works of art because of their own personal experiences with trauma. Mm. I'll use uh, a recent example. Some of your listeners may have heard of the so-called Mattress Girl, Mm -hmm. Columbia University, who a couple of years ago did a year-long performance as her senior thesis in order to protest against the alleged rape that she experienced by a fellow student. Columbia University had determined that her accused perpetrator was innocent. And Emma Selkowitz had decided to create a year-long protest on campus in which she carried her dorm mattress to all of her classes and even to her graduation in order to protest the fact that she she believed and was clear in saying that she had been raped and she felt that Columbia's uh, assessment of finding him innocent was incorrect. And her performance became extremely powerful. Because of social media, other women students at other universities heard about the performance. They too began to carry mattresses at various universities to protest against their experiences And it just mushroomed across the country. It blossomed across the country. So that's an experience of somebody who was responding to her perceived experience. And it's something that became spoken about in the New York Times Magazine and many newspapers and other places. And it has to do with her intention to end the silence about what happened to her. Mm. You know what uh, I think we struggle with is the the singular nature of some of this um, to, to like we focus on the particulars of this this case or this this uh, situation and people talk about the situation people t- take sides about how you're going to ruin this life or that life and and that right. and and all the while ignoring the the literal fact of almost constant and consistent rape and violation uh, of violence in this country um, that is you know statistically large in the first place and then statistically underreported in such a massive yes. amount that you have to you have to sort of your mind buckles at the at the reality 
of the the fact that so many women have experienced yes. violent rape and then to have people argue that it, no no it, it, he couldn't have done that or no yes. that, she can't be right that can't yes. be right and Absolutely. that's what strikes me as just amazing the statistics are so clearly in favor of agreeing yes yeah, so uh, the rape abuse and incest national network recorded in 2015 that 321,500 instances of rape and sexual assault for victims 12 and older were reported in the United States each year. That was an increase from 2002 of about 120,000. Mm. So we know that it is underreported, but we have the statistics. We know the number of women in on college campuses who experience rape. We have the statistics to tell us, but there is the uh, reaction against this. The False Memory Foundation was established in the 1990s, I believe it is, when a mother of somebody, a child who reported having experienced incest with her father, had claimed that this is this is a lie and that therapists are planting this in people's memory. There are instances, there are instances where somebody has been falsely accused, but most of the times it's not false. Most of the time. It's a minuscule, statistically minuscule amount of people who are falsely accused. And on top of the fact, again, that the, that the bulk of these situations are not reported. Exactly. Yeah. And why aren't they reported? They're not reported because look what happened to Anita Hill. Mm-hmm. Look what happened to Christine Blasey Ford. Mm-hmm. Well, look what happened to pretty much anybody that reports a rape. Right. <laughs> right. So yeah. this is the unfortunate truth. And so, again, it's one of those things that right. strikes you as so, so shocking that anyone would right. be um, – would find it – something to to go against rather than to support yes. um, but you're but the point is that you're if you support women you're actually hurting the patriarchy hurting the 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 men in charge hurting the future yes. of the male country the male patri- so you can see that that's uh that's kind of ingrained in the culture you know I, I, when i was that's thinking absolutely. about yeah when i was thinking about this you know i think it, there are powerful artworks that you discuss and and how they're powerful and what they can do but then i think about the again the small scale as it works against the massive sort of propaganda right. of this this machine that privileges the male sexual dominant, the female as sexually accepting and, ex- and accepting their domination as pleasure as well. That's a right. constant and a consistent visual image in our culture also. Absolutely. And what my book shows is the fact that the rape crisis movement and the works of art that join the rape crisis movement. This all occurs in the 1970s, which is the women's movement or the so-called second wave of feminism, which many of your listeners probably experienced as I did, when women began to question all of these issues that we're discussing here, as well as marriage and mm-hmm other things. Do I want to have children? Do I not want to have children? All of those issues, do I want to be go to work? If I go to work, do I want to be a stay-at-home mom or not? All of that is rooted in the women's movement of the 1970s. And as you're pointing out, the artists that I discussed in the book are connected with this movement. 
And then we have the so-called third wave of feminism that begins uh, in the 1980s. One can argue it continues to today. Some can argue that we're in a different wave right now. But at any rate, um, with the third wave of feminism, issues of having to do with uh, people of color, having to do with globalization, globalization, other issues come into play. But nevertheless, it's all connected to the feminist movements of the 1970s to the present. Mm-hmm. This is Interchange on WFHB. Our guest is Vivian Freed, author of Against Our Will, Sexual Trauma in American Art Since 1970, an art which exposes how rape and incest are foundational elements of this civil society, but an art which also opens up a public space where the voices of the survivors of that sexual violence can be heard. Let's look at some of the these. Well, actually, let's let's talk about a couple of terms first because uh, you, you, we passed by them, and I wanted to get to them before we moved into the artist specifically. But this these were uh, bearing witness and testifying, and we kind of talked about yes. this as in terms of a, an audience participation space yes. and public art and things like that. So, uh, bearing witness and testifying, interesting as they're somewhat legal and religious terms, also. Um, so, uh, what does it mean to bear witness in a work of art or testify? In a, to or in a work of art? It comes out of trauma theory and it comes out of psychoanalysis. When a therapist is talking to a, a patient and the patient has a memory of some kind of trauma. And I really will begin with the Holocaust because it's Freud who really identified trauma Back at the end of the 19th century, he saw it within the context of the First World War. And then it was responded, react, people reacted to it in such a, a negative way that he came up with the Oedipal complex. And then the First World War made him think, no, what I, I'm sorry, it was the end of the 19th century when he was listening to patients in his practice telling him about sexual trauma events. And he came up with this idea of trauma. And then his colleagues were so upset about it that he came up with, um, I'm blanking out for a moment. <laughs> well, you, you said the Oedipal complex earlier. Freud moves, Oedipal, mo- yes, yeah, Freud you. moves away from the, the yes, sexual hysteria into, yes. uh, to, the Oedipal complex, uh, yes. and sort of begins to cover up the, the truth that he probably discovered prior to that. Exactly. And then the First World War makes him remember it. The Holocaust is another time when people who had survived Auschwitz, for example, they kept it to themselves for so long. But when they were first questioned about it and talked about it, then the person who was listening to their stories, their first person narratives, they become the person who's telling the story becomes the testifier. The person who's listening to the story is bearing witness And the moment you start talking about a trauma, be it the Holocaust, a war, or a sexual trauma, etc., the moment you talk about it to somebody who's listening to you, it enters into that person's memory, consciousness, but then it also enters into the cultural memory. Hmm. And that's what I mean about testifying and bearing witness. So I argue that the artists who are creating these works of art are either consciously or unconsciously creating their testimonies. If it's not about their own experiences, it's a vicarious trauma about hearing about a friend, for example, who has been 
raped. Uh, and they, in creating the works of art, the work of art then becomes a testimony, and we, the viewer, become a witness to it. Mm. And in some ways, this is kind of like a spiralizing effect. It, it, it circles in yes. and circles out and then goes on yes. to the next person and, and, yes. and um, yes. moves on from there. And then it gets its power and perhaps its reach, you know, in the way before I was saying, how can such limited work um, in terms, in the face of the massive amount of, you know, pro-sexualized uh, uh, rape fantasy culture that we live in, how can such limited work have much effect? Um, and there's, I guess, uh, I'll give it some hope. <laughs> I use the word hope that that a lot of this can be uh, handed uh, from viewer uh, to viewer, from artist to viewer, to viewer who becomes artist, you know, or shares, et cetera. So yes. that can be powerful and, and, and strong, but it still, it seems to me a, a difficult, uh, hill to push up against. Yes, it is a difficult hill to push up against, but I think with the Me Too movement, mm -hmm. it is something that's getting more and more attention. Mm -hmm. We've already seen a backlash against it. And I suspect that backlash is going to continue. The backlash against Me Too. Um, yes, yeah, against Me Too. Yeah. It was almost immediate, right? I mean, it's against a, Me Too and all kinds yeah. of other things that we don't have to go into. Yeah. But at any rate, right. Right. what I say about the Me Too movement is that it really is a continuation of what I'm discussing in my book. Mm -hmm. And I talk about the rape crisis and incest crisis circle that recycles over and over and over again. Mm. Not only that some of the artists from the 1970s I talk about in my book then are included in exhibitions in the 1980s, like at the Whitney Museum of Art in the beginning of the 1990s. Mm -hmm. And then they're, they themselves recently are reperforming some of their works of art. Mm. Uh, so it continues over and over and over again. And what I say about the Me Too movement is the Me Too movement is not new. Right. It is a continuation of everything I'm discussing in my book. Mm -hmm. We think it's new because it's getting a lot of media attention. Right. And for the first time, we have social media. We have Facebook. We have Twitter. We have all of the different ways in which this can gain access to everybody very, very, very quickly. And it also gets a lot of attention because there are so, ma so many well-known male perpetrators, such as Bill Cosby, such as Nasser, the, um, the, the gymnast, the gymnast coach at MSU, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, such as Harvey Weinstein, and the list goes on. Right. But there are so many famous women who have spoken out, and it's getting attention because of that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But as I said, this is not new. Right, right. It's something that began in the 1970s. It's something that has continued to the present. And I hope it continues until it ends. It's time for another break. This is Tori Amos with Pandora's Aquarium off of the 1998 album From the Choir Girl Hotel. When we return, we look at the art of Faith Ringgold, specifically her slave rape story quilt. Stay with us for more on Interchange on WFHB. Pandora Pandora
Back to Interchange on WFHB, I'm Doug Storm. Our guest today is Vivian Freed, author of a book about sexual trauma in American art called Against Our Will. The title being an homage to Susan Brown Miller's 1975 book Against Our Will, Men, Women, and Rape, which argues that rape is a, quote, conscious process of intimidation by which all men keep all women in a state of fear, unquote. In this segment, we look at specific artists and their work of exposing that trauma. We already talked about uh, or mentioned Faith Ringgold. Let's uh, yes. let's give her a little more space. Faith Ringgold uh, is a is a black artist. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and she's uh, she's working in the in the seventies. She begins her slave rape series in the beginning of the 1970s, 1972, mm-hmm. and it consists of 17 quilts in which she is imagining what it was like when African women were taken into captivity by slave traders. Mm-hmm. She shows them as surprised, as running away, as helping one another. It's a very fascinating series of works of art. Then in 1984, she creates this amazing quilt that's called the the Slave Rape Story Quilt. And in this one, she has created a fictional first-person narrative about a girl, Bieta, who is born into slavery on a slave ship that is going from Africa to uh, North Carolina. Her mother had been raped by what she says in her story, that quote-unquote drunken son of a bitch, slave trader, but she learns that the slave trader is also her owner on the plantation in, uh, I'm sorry, I said North Carolina, in South Carolina, and he is not only her, her slave trader, he is not only the plantation owner, but her father who also rapes her, and she gives birth to another child. Mm. It's a very powerful, powerful image, powerful story, uh, very, very moving. And then she created, in 1986, the Purple Quilt, which is based on Alice Walker's well-known story of uh, the uh, color purple. Mm -hmm. So Faith Ringgold wanted to imagine what it was like for her great-grandmother, who she knows lived on a plantation in Florida and who said, I don't want to talk about it because it's too horrible to talk about. And Ringgold figured out that what it was was about having been raped. Mm. So her works are incredible. 
What um, in what way do does that work resonate? Uh, again, um, you know, coming to it with having no history of it myself or having never yeah. seen it before, yeah. it is it is an impressive uh, group of quilts in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you say, the uh, one of the most fascinating parts is kind of the look on in the slave rape series, the look on yes. on on the women's They're, faces. Uh, a- absolutely, yeah, yes. is, is pretty uh, yes. pretty uh, intentionally you know, disturbing and yeah. surprise, obviously surprising, uh, you know, yes. the horrifying surprise that, that, that's being experienced. Um, right. what, uh, you know, have people, you know, how is, how is, how has her work affected other artists as? Well, that's, that's an interesting question to ask. I would, it, these works by Faith Ringgold have really not been discussed by many art historians. Mm. And nobody has published all of the images. I'm the first person to a discuss all of them, and I'm the first person to be uh, to reproduce all of them. Mm. So these works are kind of new for people. Like, wow, I know Faith Ringgold, but I didn't know she created these works. Mm. So let me use a different example. Uh, an artist who is uh, a Contemporary of Faith Ringgold, Suzanne Lacey, mm-hmm. who just has an amazing retrospective at the San Francisco Museum of Art right now. And some of the works included in my book are included in this retrospective. I'll talk about ablutions that she had done with some other artists, including some of your listeners will be familiar with Judy Chicago, the famous feminist artist who did the dinner party. Mm-hmm. At any rate, Early at the same time in 1972, Judy Chicago, Suzanne Lacey, and two other women were saying, hmm, let's do a for- performance having to do with the subject of rape. Let's interview people and have tapes in which women are giving their first-person narratives about having been raped. That's the first time that people were asking somebody except for a therapist, Mm -hmm. to talk about their experiences Mm. and then to have them in this performance. This performance had women who were bound and tied together, but you also are listening to this testimony. Mm. That performance was really important in 1972. It was written about, it was seen by many people. As I said, that work of art then is discussed in exhibitions in New Orleans in 1980, in Columbus, Ohio in 1985, at the Whitney Museum in New York in 1992, 1993. And there are works of art that are well-known until today. This is Interchange on WFHB. Our guest is Vivian Freed, author of Against Our Will, Sexual Trauma in American Art Since 1970 an art which exposes how rape and incest are foundational elements of this civil society, but an art which also opens up a public space where the voices of the survivors of that sexual violence can be heard. Talk a little bit more about uh, Judy Chicago, if you don't mind. Again, I uh, again, it's just one of the things that that jumped out from your your journal article that we mentioned before, visual stimuli and traumatic memories, yes. because it, you note that uh, it was a particular project of Judy Chicago's and Donald Woman's, the at home project that triggered project. triggered your own yes. uh, memories. Yes. Well, Judy Chicago, as I mentioned, did the dinner party, and many of your listeners may be familiar with. It's a large table in which there are place settings for famous women artists who have been 
uh, and and uh, and famous writers, other women who have been written out of history, and she is reinserting them into history on these table settings. And then she has, I believe it's 999 names on the tile floor. She also had done, she had taught a class at Cal Arts in the beginning of the 1970s with Miriam Shapiro, and it was only women students who had taken the course, and they had created a series of installations in what is known as Woman House, in which they turned rooms into works of art. Judy Chicago and her husband, Donald Woodman, were invited by Western Kentucky University to teach a similar course to students in which they too would turn a home into art installations. But this was different. It didn't include women. It also included some men. So some of the rooms deal with the subject of domestic violence. The domestic abuse closet is that. The nightmare nursery is dealing with incest and the rape garage is dealing with rape. But in the rape garage on one wall, you're seeing black and white photographs of all of the people who provided their first person testimonies of having been raped, similar to what Judy Chicago and Suzanne Lacey had done in ablutions. Mm. This is recreated in the beginning of the 21st century. But unlike ablutions that only include women, and unlike ablutions in which the speakers are anonymous, in the rape garage, there are portraits with the names of the individuals, and one of the person is a man. Hmm. And he provides his first-person testimony of having been raped by a woman. Hmm. And if you don't believe that a, a child is raped by her father or uncle or brother, and you don't believe that a male child is also experiencing this, it's even harder, I think, for many to believe that a man can be raped by a woman. But it is true. Hmm. Well, those uh, those uh, obviously would be powerful things to to view and to experience. The difficulty, as you know, is is the silence of it. The difficulty Absolutely. is that the silence is is um, what what the culture apparently prefers, or the the patriarchy prefers, perhaps, and the the social world we live in. I am struggling personally, and I think many of us are, with the sort of resurgence of the yes. sort of right conservative agenda Absolutely. that is that yeah. is really uh, again uh, come mm-hmm. to prominence uh, recently we've had uh, again we probably had too many things to to note uh, uh, but Oklahoma state GOP rep George Fought was has just uh, you know basically defended rape and incest by quoting from the Bible um, know. You know, this was not, and this, you know, this is uh, obviously we look back to 2012 with Todd Aiken, the, and you know, saying that again, yes. rape if it's if it's legitimate rape, right. um, <laughs> that the body will apparently get rid of it. Um, so exactly, you know, and then we have in Alabama yeah. that rape and incest is not included if you want to have an abortion. Right. Imagine having experienced rape as a as a as a young adult getting pregnant and having to give birth to that child if Mm. you don't want to. Mm -hmm. I would want to quote Judge Rosemary Aquilina, who at the USA Gymnastics doctor Larry Nasser's trial in 2018 
said when she um, jailed him for up to 175 years in prison for the sexual abuse of female minors and young adults. This is what she said after all of those brave women came to the trial and spoke out. All of those famous gymnastic women that we were in awe of watching what they were capable of doing and then learning the stories of how they were raped by Larry Nassar. And what she said is, and I quote, it stops now. Speak out like these survivors become part of the army. And what I would say is hopefully we are going to continue to speak out, become part of the army and to not allow these laws to take place mm. and to do something in terms of who we're voting into office, for example, and <laughs> sure. in, in terms of how we're raising our children, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. boys and girls. Though Eve was made from Adam's rib, nine months he lay within her crib. How can a man of woman born thereafter use her sex with scorn? For though we bear the human race, to us is given but second place. And some men place us lower still by using us against our will. That's our show. We'll close with the great Peggy Seeger. This is Reclaim the Night, off of the 1979 album Different, Therefore Equal. Thanks to Vivian Freed for joining us today. Her book is Against Our Will, Sexual Trauma in American Art Since 1970, published by Penn State University Press. The history of sexual violence in the United States, though not unique, is obvious and clear. Denying it is approving it, accepting it is perpetrating it, joking about it is participating in it. Stop it now. Thank you for listening. I'm Doug Storm. I produce Interchange. Kyrie Greenberg is our executive producer. Stay tuned for The Jazz Menagerie, coming up next on your community radio station, WFHB. Our freedom women have seldom known. The right to live, the right to walk alone without fear. A husband has his lawful rights, can take his wife whene'er he likes. And courts uphold time after time That rape in marriage is no crime The choice is hers and hers alone Submit or lose your kids and home When love becomes a legal claim Call it duty, but rape's the name And if a man should rape a child it's not because his spirit's wild. Our system gives the prize to all who trample on the weak and small. When fathers rape, they surely know their kids have nowhere else to go. Try to forget, don't ask us to forgive them. They know what they do. Reclaim the night and win the day We want the right that should be our own Our freedom women have seldom known The right to live The right to walk alone without fear